So here now our reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning with verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, we'll come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, although he is not a central character in the gospel stories, I think that there is much that we can learn from the apostle Philip. In fact, one thing that I like about Philip the most is, like, is that like you and me, he is an ordinary person. The Bible tells us that he was from a small town, not a big city. That small town was called Bethsaida. And, did, and he did most of his ministry in rural settings, what those of us in the South might call country folk. He was not of the first men to be chosen by Jesus, and he was not a part of Jesus's inner circle, which was composed of Peter, James, and John, his three uh, best friends and closest confidants. Again, Philip was an ordinary person. But as we will see, God is in the business of doing extraordinary things through ordinary people. Amen? You guys awake this morning? Somebody say amen if you're awake. I just want to make sure that you guys are listening. One of the most helpful passages about Philip in the New Testament when it comes to a life of discipleship is the story that we just read about the disciples that were being called by Jesus. And if we read carefully we see a threefold pattern that is used for under, that is useful for understanding our own calling as a disciple. And as you can see on the screen, the pattern is respond, follow, witness. Say that with me. Respond, follow, witness. Jesus invites us to be his friend, and then we respond. And if we respond positively, then we start to follow Jesus. And as we follow Jesus, we experience a deepening desire to tell others about him, to bear witness to his love and healing power. But it all begins with an invitation. And in Philip's case, it was an invitation directly from Jesus. Now, it's important to note that this was not usually how things happened because, as is still the case today, most were introduced to Jesus by another disciple. But Jesus invites Philip face to face, 
and he responds with enthusiasm by committing himself to learning and practicing the value system of the kingdom of God by following the master. And so Philip leaves his former life behind and joins a traveling community of faith who goes where Jesus goes and does what Jesus does. Philip appears again in the story where Jesus feeds the multitudes, which is John's, part of John's version of the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus asks Philip where should they buy bread to feed all of those people, it was kind of a test. And it's a test that Philip fails. According to John, Jesus already knows how he's going to feed the multitudes, but Philip, like his fellow disciples, just don't get it. Later, Jesus, or later, as Jesus gives final instructions to Peter, James, and John, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. To which Jesus replies, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So Philip, like us, like most ordinary people who are trying to work out in real life what it means to follow Jesus, we often struggle to get it right. And that includes your pastor and all the other pastors in the area. We're all trying to figure it out. We're, it's almost like we're, we're building the bridge as we're walking across it. And sometimes it's a struggle and a challenge to get it right. But one thing that Philip did really well was to tell people about Jesus so that they could come to know him and have an opportunity to follow him too. So Philip's story exemplifies the way that meeting Jesus is so healing and so life-transforming that it makes us eager to share the good news that we have discovered, something that we see writ large in the New Testament. So I just want to give you a few examples. As we read a few weeks ago in our Christmas Eve service, the shepherds went to Bethlehem and found the baby Jesus and afterwards, the text says they immediately started spreading the good news. We are also told in John chapter 1 that the first thing that the disciple Andrew does after he discovers Jesus is to go find his brother Simon Peter to make an introduction. And then, as we read this morning, the first thing that Philip does after responding to Jesus' personal invitation to come and follow is to find Nathaniel and invite him to come along too. Do you see the pattern? And it's important to note that this invitation from Philip to Nathaniel did not happen in a vacuum. It's not like he was just walking across the field where he happened to meet Nathaniel for the first time and then started making an argument about how he needed to follow Jesus and believe the right things and act the right way as if he were extending a membership to an exclusive club. That's not how it happened. Philip already had a relationship with Nathaniel. Are you awake, church? He already had a friendship and it was because of that relationship, because of that friendship, that Nathaniel trusted Philip. In other words, their friendship opened the door to the invitation. In the South, and yes, I do believe that Florida is a part of the South, 
This is an argument that I had with all my friends when I lived in Georgia and when I lived in Tennessee. They all said Florida's not part of the South. And I said, well, I grew up hunting and fishing and eating swamp cabbage. And I believe that Florida is definitely part of the South. But in the South, there is a phrase that to outsiders sounds odd. And the phrase is this, I'm going to learn you. You guys heard that? I'm going to learn you. But before we dismiss this as bad grammar, it helps to go a little deeper into the history of the word. And according to the Urban Dictionary, the word learn here is used in this, in this way in its transitive form and comes directly from an old English word that means to teach. So a more contemporary definition might be to learn about, and that's exactly what Philip does in the story. Philip learned about Nathanael, and he spent enough time with him to know his hopes and his dreams and expectations. Philip had already demonstrated faithfulness as a friend, and this means that he already knew how the good news of Jesus would resonate with him. Likewise, due to their friendship, Nathanael knew that he could trust a recommendation from Philip. You know, when we talk about evangelism in the church or sharing the good news, we sometimes get really focused on the precise words that we need to say when sharing. And so a lot of times if folks don't trust you to tell your story right or to do it in a way that is theologically correct, they'll give you a track, you know, a little brochure that you can hand to somebody and pretty much read it to them to make sure that you don't get it wrong, that you don't say the wrong thing or stumble into theological heresy. But in the focus on all this focus that comes with looking at the precise words that we're going to say and how we're going to make the presentation and the big sale at the end when we try to get them to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, and the, and the focus on all of that stuff, then we often neglect talking about the relationships the relationships that we should invest in that actually give, give credence and credibility to our words. And this was the main point in the sermon series that we did back in November titled Bless. But if we intend to learn somebody about Jesus, then we must lay the groundwork of hospitality first. And so one of the points I've been trying to drive home over and over again over the last few months is that if an essential part of following Jesus is a willingness to share the good news about what he has done for us, and it is, then hospitality, hospitality is an essential part of following Jesus too. Because without the kinds of authentic friendships that are made possible by hospitality, our sharing will simply not connect with people. It's like getting a cold call at dinner uh, from the Police Benevolence Association. Remember the old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care which is the main point of the Advent series that we just finished on divine hospitality. So after the blessed series and after the hospitality series, I think we are now, as a congregation, in a better position to understand that a life, somebody say life, a life of discipleship, not a part-time job, not a Sunday morning, a life of discipleship, 
is also a life of radical hospitality. Radical hospitality. Just as it is a life of worship, which we talked about last week. If you weren't here, you can get the message on YouTube and iTunes. Now, some of you may be thinking, we had a cold front come through. The waves got pretty good. Did Pastor Mark dial it in this morning? Right? I mean, we've already heard all this stuff in his sermons over the last three months. And I want to say to you, the answer is no. I did not dial it in. I'm not surfing till 5 o'clock tonight. But yes, I am preaching on hospitality again, but I want to do it in a way that tries to bring all of the insights together from these two previous series and to put them into the context, not as one element separated from others, but put them within the context of a lifetime of discipleship. And my friends, the day that you say yes to Jesus is the last day that it's about you, and it's the first day of the rest of your life in following Jesus, because being a disciple is not an intellect, not a list of intellectual propositions towards which you give intellectual assent and then go on with life as usual. It is intended to introduce an entirely new value system to you that leads to a deep transformation from the inside out so that your life looks different after you said yes to Jesus than it did before you said yes to Jesus. And the main point that I'm trying to burn into your brain (laughs) is that you cannot, you cannot truly be a follower of Jesus unless you live a life of hospitality, right? You've heard there's a meme that's going around, it's been going around for a while, that there's a whole lot of Christians walking around with a whole lot of scripture in their mouth and also a whole lot of hate in their heart. It doesn't work that way. You can't be a hateful person and be a Christian, right? You cannot truly be a follower of Jesus unless you live a life of hospitality. And what does this mean? This means that you give yourself to others as Jesus gave himself to you for deep, authentic relationships that are manifest in true Christian friendships. We need friends. To this end, I want to introduce a new tool to help us better practice the hospitality of Jesus that will help us to be a more faithful friend as we're trying to engage folks inside and outside of our church. And it's a coaching tool that turns the word learn into an acronym. And so we're gonna go through each letter and see what it means. The first, the L in learn stands for listen. And we've talked about this, so I just wanna remind you of a few things. I wanna remind you that listening is different from hearing. It's a focused action that seeks understanding by hearing not just what is said, but also what is not said. It's not just hearing the words, but it's also hearing the tone of voice. It's hearing the passion or lack of passion and kind of reading the energy of the person that you're talking to. True listening is a way of being fully present to someone. It's perhaps one of the greatest gifts that we can give to someone, our attention. And this is why we pray with St. Francis of Assisi, O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, not to be understood 
as to understand, not to be loved as to love. True listening is about really getting the person instead of just thinking about what you're going to say next. <laughs> it's about attending to someone with empathy rather than focusing on your own agenda. And it goes way beyond the superficial ways that we typically greet each other, yes, at church, when we say things like, good to see you, I'm glad you're here. And I'm the worst. My wife actually pokes fun of me because every time I see someone, I say, good to see you, good to see you. How's your mother? <laughs> good to see you, right? It's gotta go deeper than that. In contrast, active listening shows that we really care about a person. So the L is for listen. Then we go to the E, which stands for encourage. We encourage people and we show them that we care when we acknowledge something about them or acknowledge something about their family or something that they have done. We might say something like, I heard that you got a promotion at work, congratulations. Or, how are, the, how are the cancer treatments going? Or how is your daughter's first year being away at college? Of course, you have to listen to people tell their story to learn what is going on with them before you can acknowledge something that is important to them. But when we do, it's encouraging. It offers the kind of support that helps them to keep putting one foot in front of the other because we all know that life gets hard. It's a way of using our words to build people up to their face instead of tearing them down behind their backs. Encouragement is positive, uplifting, and the Bible says that encouragement is life-giving. Life-giving. The A stands for ask questions. When I taught philosophy at Florida Southern College, I tried to help my students to see that one of the most important things in our work together was to formulate, pose, and wrestle with good questions. The questions that we ask change the answers that we get, don't they? Good questions are so important, but in our current culture, which is so fragmented, impatient, defensive, and hostile, Asking good questions seems to be a lost art. Without even realizing it, we sometimes get so focused on insisting that other people listen to us and understand us. We get so focused on proving our point or winning an argument or otherwise getting someone to agree with what we think that we rarely get curious. We rarely ask questions. And when we do ask questions, we rarely listen to the person with an open heart and an open mind to learn something new. But I want you to think, my friends, how it feels in a conversation when someone takes a genuine interest in you. Who you are, what you do, what gives you joy. How does it make you feel? And think about how you feel when someone asks you a question about yourself and then really listens to your answer. If that question's not connecting with you, then imagine this question. Have you ever been talking to someone who's pretending like they're interested in you and they ask you a question and you, you get excited because you think that they really want to know the answer? 
And then when you start talking to answer the question, you immediately see their eyes glaze over and they're gone. And think about the pain that that sometimes causes. Using open-ended questions, the kinds of questions that can't be answered with a simple yes or no, allows others to share more deeply about themselves and provides an opportunity to engage them more fully. Again, asking questions demonstrates curiosity. And curiosity demonstrates interest, and interest demonstrates that we actually care about the person that is in front of us. The next is the R, which stands for respond appropriately, because we all know that, that words without actions are empty, right? To respond appropriately assumes that you've truly listened to someone and understand what, understands what he or she is thinking, feeling, and saying. It includes acknowledging pain when people are suffering and, and celebrating with them during times of accomplishment and success. I talked to my son about this. My son Isaac has this really bad habit. When he gets nervous, he laughs. And it took me a while to get used to this because he would do something and I would get on to him. I'd be kind of getting on to him. Isaac, you better stop doing that. And he would start laughing. I said, what are you doing? You want a spanking? No, I'm kidding, right? Don't laugh when I'm correcting you. It's because he was nervous and that nervousness caused him to respond in an inappropriate way, in a way that didn't match the situation. And oftentimes, if we're not really listening to people, they're talking and our brain's somewhere else or we're thinking about what we're going to say. When they stop talking, we don't want them to know that we weren't listening. And so the next words that we say are often an inappropriate response that don't match what they were just talking about. And how do you think it makes them feel? They're not listening to me. They don't care about me. So responding appropriately means acknowledging what they're saying, kind of mirroring their feelings back to them. It also includes asking for more details about their story. And if you're a Christian, offering to pray for them. How often do you talk to someone and at the end say, I'm not a professional, but can I pray for you? It's a demonstration of care. And then finally, we have to negotiate action. Negotiation uh, or negotiating action is about asking two questions. Number one, how can I stay connected to this person so it's not a one-off conversation? How do I stay connected? And number two, how can I help this person to find their next step in following Jesus? This may include inviting the person to share a meal or a cup of coffee for further engagement. Or you may direct them to other resources, a book or a podcast or something, or to a skilled counselor or spiritual director, or invite them to come to church or be a part of your small group. But when we put all of this together, this LEARN acronym, we see how these five skills, when used appropriately, help us to connect with people at a deeper level so that we can develop authentic, supportive faithful friendships. And again, this is as much a part of our spiritual worship than putting our hands up and singing a praise song. Now, once we learn these skills, it's important to give them appropriate emphasis so that we can uh, engage people appropriately. And so, if you look at the pie chart on the screen, it helps us to grasp this point. And you'll notice that we should spend more time listening and asking questions uh, and less time responding. 
In the words of Judge Judy, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. You guys are getting all kind of quotes. If you come back, I'll quote Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin too. Just give it time. The main point here is that we find an appropriate balance as we engage people and try to develop faithful friendships. So returning to our scripture reading, before Nathaniel, uh, before he told Nathaniel about Jesus, Philip spent time with him, built a relationship with him that had a high level of trust. He probably used a lot of the skills that we just looked at. And we can see this, there's evidence for this, we can see it in the way that Nathaniel responds to Philip's invitation to meet Jesus. Because Nathaniel, full of skepticism, says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He didn't believe, <laughs> he didn't believe what Philip was saying. So clearly, Nathaniel did not go to meet Jesus because he immediately had faith. No, rather, he went despite, somebody say despite, he went despite his skepticism because he trusted Philip, who was his friend. And as I mentioned earlier, this is still the way that most people come to Jesus today. As I've talked about in previous messages, somewhere between 80 and 85% of people come to church because they are invited by a friend. And while people will return a few times because the music is excellent and the preaching is powerful, they keep coming back. They keep coming back because they make friends. Have you ever gone church shopping? You go to a church for a while and you don't make any friends. What do you do? You, you, you gradually fade away and you go look somewhere else because we're looking for friends knowing that following Jesus is not easy, that it is a lifetime process and that we need people to support and help us. We go looking for that because even if we don't know it consciously, we intuitively know we need people to stand beside us, to shoulder the burden. We need people who are farther along the disciples' path, who are more mature to encourage us to take more steps forward to mature in our faith. And we need a couple people who are behind us on the disciples' path, encouraging them to come along. And without these kinds of friends, our decision to follow Jesus often is like a bottle rocket. Pow! And it's over. We're back to life as usual. So, when people don't make friends in a church... It turns into a revolving door where people come a few times and disappear. And this is one reason why churches don't grow. Studies show, at least the last time I looked, maybe the statistics have been updated, but studies show that there's always about 10% of the average worship attendance, 10% of new people coming into a church at any given moment. And at the very same time, there are 10% that are leaving. And if people that are coming don't make friends, they're going to be leaving with that 10% on the backside, and that's when churches start declining. So this is another reason why we've been emphasizing hospitality and Christian friendship for the last few months. Why we've provided numerous tools to help you engage people more deeply. Why 
We have encouraged you to come early or leave late so that you can talk to people you don't know and to make new friends. And for some of you, this runs kind of against the grain of your personality. If you're introverted, if you don't feel like you're good with people, it might be really, really scary. And that's why we've been giving tools to help you to, to be able to grab hold of something, to have some questions to ask and some assignments to do. But you know, friends, there are other people who are like me who never meet a stranger. You know who you are. And after we are comfortable approaching someone, then we have to say, I'm gonna make the time. I'm gonna stay five minutes late. I'm gonna gather the energy to go up to someone I don't know and introduce myself, right? So there's the learning how to do it and then there's the gaining the energy to do it. So if we're going to help new people find abundant life in a community of love, if our church is going to grow, especially considering all the isolation that people have experienced in the pandemic, then we must as a church, individually and together, we must continue to be intentional about learning how to offer ourselves an authentic Christian friendship. And we do this by investing time and energy in relationships that are built on trust and caring by engaging people face-to-face -face with genuine interest and curiosity, by sharing the story of what Jesus has done for us, by inviting people to come and see what God is doing in the life of our church. In short, and this is the, uh, for me, it was the here's your sign moment, right? In short, this means not simply telling people how welcoming and loving we are as a church, Come, our church is so welcoming. But it's by personally, somebody say personally, me personally engaging in concrete and specific acts of love when people walk through our doors. And when we do this, we receive others as Jesus has received us, which is what it's all about. Remember that when Nathaniel arrives to meet Jesus, he discovers that Jesus already knows him. And here's something really important. Did you notice in the story, there is no judgment about Nathaniel's lack of faith. Jesus doesn't learn him on good Christian doctrine. There's no questions about his initial reluctance to come and meet Jesus. There's just simply a warm welcome and a promise that the best is yet to come. Did you know that church? The best is yet to come. And this is the kind of welcome, this is the kind of hospitality that we can offer people and it becomes the greatest gift that we can give. One of the greatest gifts that we can give is our care and support of people as they journey toward knowing Jesus better. If you have done this, you know how much of a blessing it is to help people discover the gift of God's love, God's grace-filled welcome to people, no matter where they are, no matter where they're from, no matter what they've done. And this begins with us. It begins with a willingness to be a channel of God's welcome, with a commitment to building authentic friendships with those who God puts in our path. So in conclusion, and I probably won't preach directly on this passage again for a while, so bear with me. In conclusion, I wonder what God is calling you to do. Somebody say me. What is God calling me to do? As we try to develop a more hospitable culture here at First UMC, 
This is so important, guys. We, we wouldn't be talking about it as much if it weren't critical. And one thing that I would really like to do, so if you fell asleep, wake up, because you might have a job. One of the things that I really would like to do is to build a hospitality team of three to five people that I can empower and turn loose to prayerfully set some goals, some hospitality goals for our church, to develop some plans and to empower other volunteers to make meaningful connections, especially with new folks. And maybe God is calling you to be a part of that team. We've asked before, and many people's response was, I'm busy. Well, I'm making the offer again, and if God is speaking to you, maybe you can find a way to manage your business. Maybe managing your busyness is the next thing that Jesus wants you to do as you seek to become more like him, and this is an opportunity to work on that. And if you are interested in being a part of that team, please let me know so that we can have an exploratory conversation. Or maybe God is just calling you personally to be more intentional about reaching out to new people to not just settling into your comfort zone and gravitating toward the people that you already know over and over and over again. Maybe God is calling you to approach someone that you don't know to simply introduce yourself, to engage them. Friends, I have to say this as clearly and as gently as I possibly can. There have been people, new people, who have come into our church and when they have left, not a single person introduce themselves, ask them their name, ask any questions about their life, their family. And some of those people never came back. There was another couple that came that I actually got really close to, that they came back several Sundays, one after the other, and people weren't engaging them. And they kind of disappeared. And so I called them on the phone. I said, hey, where have you been? I miss you. And they say, Mark, we love you. We love your sermons. We love the music. But we just didn't make any friends. And we visited another church. And the minute that we walked in, they embraced us and began to engage us. Folks, we can't grow if we don't engage people. No one, no one should ever leave our church without at least one person other than me and other than Phil. One person approaching them introducing themselves, asking questions, listening attentively, offering encouragement, finding ways to extend the conversation later. And so I want to ask, are you engaging other people at a deeper level or are you leaving it to someone else? This is something that we have to take personal responsibility for. And if you remember, there's a phrase, and I know I'm going along and I'm almost done, I've got like three more sentences, but there was a lady named Phyllis at the first church that I served and she always said, what kind of church would it be if everyone were like me? What would it be like if everybody in our church was as committed to engaging people that they didn't know as you are? Everybody, what would happen, right? Are you engaging people at a deeper level? Or are you staying on the surface and just walking by and saying, hi, good to see you? Maybe God is calling you to deeper engagement. What's important this morning, myself, is for you not to leave here and ask, what is Pastor Mark going to do, or what is Phil going to do, or what is a worship band going to do? It's to ask yourself the question, how am I, how am I personally helping people who come to our church make friends and experience a warm welcome of God? Am I making myself available for real Christian friendship, or do I just come to see what I can get out of it? 
what is God calling me to do to go to the next level in offering radical hospitality to others? And that, my friends, is the good news of the gospel this morning.